I wanted to be a priest, but I, I didn't. I, I would have liked to have been a priest, but I didn't want to because I, I knew I wanted to have a family. And so I was like, oh, I want to become a deacon when I grow up. But I was an altar boy. I was the head of the CYO. I was in. I was in and loved it. Until the priest who had been mentoring me for six years, once my parents divorced, he tried to have a relationship with me. And that was the end of Catholicism for me and the end of Christianity for me. Um, I'm, I'm starting to come back around on that now. But what happened was it, that door just closed in my mind as soon as he made that advance. And thank God I was big enough to get the hell out of his room. But um, as soon as he made that advance, a, a door instantly closed my mind. I didn't even know it closed. I didn't know it closed until years later I looked back. But I just never I, I wanted nothing to do with any organized religion at all from that, that, that second onward. Podcasting from Boulder, Colorado. This is the Baby Got Backstory Podcast, where we dive into the story behind the story of today's most inspiring storytellers, creators, and entrepreneurs. I like big backstories, and I cannot lie. I am your host, Mark Gutman. I'm Mark Gutman, and on today's episode of Baby Got Backstory, we are hearing the story of Mark O'Brien. CEO and owner of the marketing agency, Newfangled. All right, all right. Now, if you like and enjoy the show, please take a minute or two to rate and review us over at Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whichever one you listen to most. Apple and Spotify use these ratings as part of the algorithms that determine the ratings on their charts, and ratings help us to build an audience, which then helps us to continue to produce this show. Well, enough of that. Let's get into today's episode. As you're about to hear, Mark O'Brien has quite a story. As a young child, he thought he was going to have a career in the Catholic Church, only to become disillusioned and disconnected from that organization for reasons you'll hear early in the episode. After landing his dream job working at the fine dining restaurant he idolized, Mark found his true calling leading a creative agency. Today, newfangled, what a great name. Is the marketing agency for, well, marketing agencies. And if that sounds odd, it makes perfect sense when Mark talks about it. But this episode really isn't about marketing agencies. It's about the fascinating and twisty journey of Mark O'Brien. And this is his story. All right. I am here with Mark O'Brien, the CEO of Newfangled. What a great name. I, I love that name. And I want to get into where that came from. And uh, he says he's the CEO, but not the founder, and uh, which is pretty cool. And we're going to talk about that. And Mark, uh, welcome. And I want to say when, when you sent your bio to us, which we have every guest do, you know, you had your like kind of normal bio, but actually leading that bio was the brief version that went cook, intern, coder, president, owner. And I just think that is a so awesome. I, I believe less is more. I, you know, I love the old quote, uh, I would have written a shorter letter if I had more time yeah. in the economy of words. And I think that says it all. So we could probably wrap this interview right now. What do you Great. think? Enjoyed it. Thanks, Mark. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you very, very much for, for coming on the show. And when, when you were growing up, like young Mark, did, were you always destined to be a marketer? 
<laughs> no, no. I, I I actually had a fair bit of stress growing up because I had no idea what I what I could possibly do for a living, and I had no idea what I how I could like get by. I remember thinking, "Wow, like look at in my parents' house. Like look look at that." Washing machine and dryer. How could I ever afford to buy a washing machine and dryer? You know, it's just, the whole thing seemed quite daunting, and I, I had no idea at all what I'm doing, which makes sense now because what I do didn't exist then. <laughs> and like, so what did your parents do? Like, what gave you that sort of impression that a washer and a dryer was just unattainable? Like, what, 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 what were their careers? <laughs> I don't. I don't think they uh, did anything to damage me in that way. It was just all, all inside my own head. My my dad um, is a scientist, um, uh, primarily a biochemist, uh, but he's done all sorts of other things as well. And my mom, um, when I was growing up, was just a consummate mom. You know, she she was there. She did start working once I got a little bit older, but she was uh, a homemaker of the highest order and took took deep, deep, deep pride in that, rightfully so. <laughs> and it's funny, like, like uh, I have the reverse problem. Now I look around, and I'm like, how do I afford that washer and dryer? <laughs> I'm like, how does this even work? This is, this is insane. Um, uh, and I, I don't want to think about it. You're making, you're giving, you're giving me uh, anxiety sorry, now. Sorry, sorry. No, no, let's, yeah, let's go back to, we're going back to childhood. We're going back to childhood. So, so where were you growing up? Like, what was, uh, where did you grow up? What was the town like? What, you know, what, what was life like for, for young Mark? Uh, young Mark. Um, so uh, born in Providence, Rhode Island. And, um, and it was, so it's a, it's a city, a small city, but a city. And then moved to Danbury, Connecticut, um, out in the country when I was six. So I did most of my growing up in Danbury. It's about 10 minutes from the New York border. Spent a lot of time in the woods and on the reservoir and just camping out and playing with friends. It was it was a real idyllic upbringing, walking to school through the trails, things like that. You know, playing outside and swimming and canoeing in the summer and ice skating and sledding in the winter. It was it was wonderful. And I, I really fell in love with the country in those 12 years I was in Danbury from 6 to 18. And I actually ended up going back to Providence for college and stayed there for um, gosh about 8 years or so total. Uh, not not college, <laughs> just Providence. <laughs> and um and, and I missed the country deeply when I was in the city. So when I moved down to North Carolina in 03, I, I made sure that I found a, a place deep in the country, which I did. Uh, I'm in Chapel Hill still today, but, um, you know, the Chapel Hill is a pretty rural area, all, all told. I, I, I love that. And it's interesting. Like, I haven't like had a lot of experience with Rhode Island, but uh, not you and the, the guests right before you, Foley Fish, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but Rhode Island isn't the, the biggest place. The, the, they're in that area and they're, they're a fish fish uh, mar- processing and market. So pretty interesting. It's like Foley, Foley Fish. Foley Fish, yes. Yes. I know Foley Fish really well, actually. That's well, funny you mentioned them. So, so what's your connection to Foley Fish? They're, they're the little guest that's preceding you on baby got backstory. So they're going to, you know, people who've listened about Foley fish will now be getting into Mark O'Brien and hearing all about Rhode Island and, and outside of like dumb and dumber and fairly brother movies. Uh, you know, like I, I, I you know, I, I don't have a lot of Rhode Island experience. Rhode Island's a wonderful place, particularly in the summertime. It's, it, it, it's wonderful, but Foley fish. So, um, my very brief bio there, part of it was cook and, I I ran uh, the kitchen at a quite prestigious place. There's a story behind that, but I, I, I found myself doing that. 
to my surprise. <laughs> and um, their supplier was Foley Fish. And we went and toured the entire Foley facility. And it was amazing. They're, they're an extraordinary organization. They're, they're one of those organizations that, you know, the people who run it, it doesn't matter what what business they ended up in. It was going to be an excellent business. You know what I mean? Like they they they're not in the fish business. They they're in the I don't know what business they're in, but gosh, they they are operating on a level head and shoulders above everybody else in that marketplace. And they they good amazing innovation in terms of you know how to keep fish fresh and everything else. Um, incredible, incredible customer service and just impeccable, impeccable product. They're 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 really an extraordinary, extraordinary organization, um, and one I, I wouldn't mind modeling some aspects of newfangled after, even though we're in marketing and they're fishmongers. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're not here to talk about them, but they've been in business for 114 years. And to me, you know, I've worked with some iconic brands um, where basically the the models don't mess it up, you know. <laughs> but uh, you know, but like very few businesses uh, have been around that long. So super, super cool. And uh, if you've listened to that episode and you're you're coming in now, you're going to have a little bit of context. And if not, go back and listen to that one. But I want to get back to you know, you mentioned you. Uh, we're back in Rhode Island. You went to college. Where were you? Where were your interests then, and what were you studying at that time? Okay, so my interests then, um, so was cooking. Okay, so I um, I started working pretty young. My first job was as a caddy at a golf course. I think I was twelve or thirteen. That was a terrible job. Um, <laughs> did not enjoy that. And then I was a busboy at a Chinese restaurant. And then my friend Rosie, she worked at this Italian place. And um, it's small, like 30-seater, run by a husband and wife, and they needed a, a busboy. And so I left the Chinese place to go to the Italian place, and, uh, and it changed my life. I, I started in the front of the house with Manuela, uh, Manuela Bentley, the, the wife of the husband and wife, and um, got to know Richard Bentley and uh, the, the, the cook, co-owner. And I, I fell in love with... And with cuisine, and uh, my mom was always a fantastic cook. Um, again, under the the heading of homemaker, such as it existed in the eighties, it was you know the classic stuff: lasagna, shepherd's pie, chicken pot pie, apple pie, a lot of pies. <laughs> but you know, she was the best cook on both sides of the family. She was an amazing cook, so I always grew up around really, really good food and well prepared food. But Actually, learning how to do this in a modern way in a restaurant was very different for me. And I wanted to go to culinary school. I was I was dead set on going to culinary school, but my mom was the boss, and she uh, basically forbade me and, and <laughs> made me go get a liberal arts education. I'm very glad she did. Um, so I went to Providence College, and um, I decided to and, and so I went to Providence College, and, and I was very happy to do that because Al Forno, my dream restaurant, uh, was there, and that's that's why I made the Foley connection, and. Um, and I went knowing that I was going to work full-time at restaurants the whole time through college as I did through high school. And I did. And um, I, I'm also a very big music fan, always have been. And so I decided, well, I'm going to take a specialization in poetry after falling in with the poetry professor who was just fantastic and actually just won a Pulitzer um, recently, which is great and very well deserved. And um, I took a specialized major with him basically for poetry in order to become a better, better lyric writer to serve my musical interests. So I was like, okay, I'm going to college. I'm not doing this for money. I'm not going to get a job in, you know, in the liberal arts or any related field. I'm going to cook for the rest of my life because, of course, I'm 18 and I know everything. Um, and I, I really did. I was a real jerky 18-year-old. I really I really knew everything. Um, 
And um, so I went to Providence and I studied poetry with Forrest Gander and it was incredible and a wonderful educational experience and uh, worked full time in restaurants. I applied to Al Forno like five times and they kept on rejecting me, Uh, didn't even reply to me. (laughs) Um, But then, of course, I met somebody who knew somebody. And then I got the interview. Um, and we can get in that story if you want. It's a pretty good story. And it does relate to the overall Newfangle story as well. But I'll let you guide that. Yeah. And, and I'd love to hear about that in one second. So the, 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 before that, I want to hear, like, why cooking? Like, what do you love about it? Like, why was this the thing that it captivated you and at such a young age had made you so sure? Because I also was a bit of a jerky 18-year-old. <laughs> but, but, but I had no idea. You know, I didn't know anything about anything. You know, I didn't know about the world. I didn't know what existed. You know, so I, I, I was very unsure with what I wanted to do. So I find it very uh, fascinating that, that you were very sure. And, and it sounds like you still, like, hold cooking really dear in your heart, even though you're not doing it right now professionally. So, like, what is it? Like, why is, why is, what's so great about cooking and what does it mean to you? Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's an answer to that question. So I started at Bentley's um, about age 15. And at that time, two other things happened. My parents got divorced. Um, my dad moved away. And that was, that was a big deal. And um, also, I had been very Catholic growing up. Um, I'm going to be really honest with you. I, I don't know how big your audience is here, but I'm going to be pretty open about some, some things here. Um, I, I loved Catholicism. I was raised in a Catholic family. I had a bunch of um, priests uh, as uncles on both sides, you know, died in the wool, Southern New England, Italian, Irish, American, Catholic, right? I wanted to be a priest, but I, I didn't. I, I would have liked to have been a priest, but I didn't want to because I, wa- I knew I wanted to have a family. And so I was like, "Oh, I want to become a deacon when I grow up." But I was an altar boy. I was the head of the CYO. I was in. I was in and loved it until the priest who had been mentoring me for six years. Once my parents divorced, he tried to have a relationship with me, and that was the end of Catholicism for me and the end of Christianity for me. Um, I'm, I'm starting to come back around on that now. But what happened was. It, that door just closed in my mind as soon as he made that advance. And thank God I was big enough to get the hell out of his room. But um, as soon as he made that advance, a, a door instantly closed my mind. I didn't even know it closed. I didn't know it closed until years later I looked back. But I just never I, – I wanted nothing to do with any organized religion at all from that, that, that second onward. Um, holy involuntary mental response. And I kind of packed it away and didn't even process it at all. Um, so, so those two things happened right when I started working at Bentley's. And Richard Bentley, hmm, Mark, what, what is it about you? How'd, you? how'd you get me into this situation so quickly? <laughs> um, Richard was in a incredibly strong presence, very intense, very quiet, very intimidating, honestly. Uh, I, was, I was terrified of him. I was absolutely terrified of him. The other thing that was going on at the same time is I moved into a public school and there were gangs. And I watched as one of my closest friends who I walked into the cafeteria with got dragged away by about 15 guys and put in the hospital. Um, so I was terrified. So my dad had moved away. My religion fell apart. I was f- truly afraid for my life each day I went to school. <laughs> you know, like, these are these are tough times. But the Bentleys were this rock. And if Richard had been a car mechanic, I would have become a car mechanic. You know, it, it, I was going to do whatever he did because he he was someone I could rely on, and he was an incredibly powerful, strong uh, male figure. And he happened to cook. Right. 
And, and he and Manuela had a wonderful relationship, and that relationship was very important to me because a very stable, uh, you know, semi-parental relationship. What was going at the same time is that they had decided for various reasons that they weren't going to have kids. Um, and I showed up at a time in their life that where they were they had a bit of a gap, and we just you know sometimes you have chemistry with people that is special, and so. Um, what also happened with Richard it was uh, he had heard about he had heard me talking to Manuela about what was going on at school and how afraid I was, and um, uh, this is it's <laughs> this is this is funny. Um, so I, I would go to their house and do yard work for them outside of the work hour. So I'd go and like clean the leaves because they were at the restaurant twenty four seven. So their yard was like in disarray, but they they were actually exceptional gardeners. But there's lots of chores to get done. So I'd go and do manual labor for them basically um, when I wasn't at the restaurant. And um, one time after uh, I did my chores, but my mom hadn't come pick me up yet. He said, Oh, come on back. I'm going to show you something. And um, he started showing me some self-defense movements. And I knew, I knew he was like a martial art kind of guy, but I was, I didn't really know much about it. And, and he started showing me things like, okay, you know, for the next week, work on these three movements. And I was like, wow, because it was, it was the real deal. It was clearly the real deal. I had, I had tried taking some Taekwondo classes for self-defense because I was scared. And it was all about like points and belts and like getting awards. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not here. For, this is not a sport for me. I need to protect myself. I don't need a point because I like, I tap someone on the shoulder. Like, this is not what I need. <laughs> but it was very clear from the very beginning what Richard was doing was the real deal. There was a thing called wushu, and um, and so I did though I practiced those things. Then I started going with him to his teacher Jaidev um, about forty five minutes away. And so twice a week we'd drive to take these martial arts classes with Richard and his teacher and a few other guys. And it was incredible. It gave me so much confidence, and it filled such a massive gap for me. Um, and on the way back and forth, we'd listen to tapes, like books on tape, literally about the restaurant business. Um, like kind of like kind of like self help books with restaurant business, like educational books about restaurants. And Al Forno was always the restaurant they're talking about. It's always Al Forno does this, Al Forno does that, and and, and Al Forno was clearly the gold standard. And Al Forno was in Providence, and I grew up in Providence. I had some connections there. And so, so the answer to your question is, I got into cooking because that's what Richard Manuela did, and that became my rock. And it clearly also resonated with me. I'm, 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 I'm pretty artistic. Um, that's, that's, I, I'm naturally wired that way. And cooking, cooking does really speak to that. And I also love food. I love wine. I, I love, I love sensations, right? I love like physical experience and food has so much to do with that. Both, you know, it, it, it touches all the senses in a really impactful way. And so it's like an endlessly interesting uh, area of pursuit. And I got just an incredible foundation from Rich Manuela. And for you, it sounds that food is comfort. It's love. It's family. And, you know, in that time that you shared and thank you for sharing that, uh, it's exactly what you needed. And I can imagine now that that's probably a way that you express love and, and how you care about people. Would that, would that be accurate? 100%. 100%. I, I, I cook for people all the time. Now, fewer people because, you know, we don't have as many people in our pod <laughs> because of COVID. But um, yeah, that's 100% one of my primary love languages. And that's how I grew up too. That's my mom's love language. That's how she tells you she loves you. Like I, I grew up in that. I didn't learn that from the Bentleys. I learned it from my mom. The Bentleys just allowed me to make it my own and to make it something I could actually make a career out of. Um, so, but yeah, 100% a love language. And so tell me about, and, and do I have the name right? Is it Al Forno or Forno? Al Forno is the restaurant? Al Forno. A-L space F-O-R-N-O. 
Alfarno. And so I, you know, sitting, sitting in the car, listening to these tapes and hearing the name of this restaurant and setting, you know, your intention and your dream. And, you know, I, I, I tell this story about how I was a skateboard kid and I used to look at Thrasher magazine and I used to just dream about like how great and cool those kids were in Thrasher. Uh, and as soon as I had a chance to, to get out to California, I moved to Venice and I realized it was all like not cool, you know, like those kids, those kids all had like horrible upbringings and they, uh, and, and at the time when I moved to Venice, it was awful. It's super cool now, but it was like scary. And, uh, I was like, wow, like I, the dream that I had in my head did not match the reality for you in getting in to that restaurant. What was that like? Did that, that live up to the, to the billing? It was every single thing I'd ever imagined it to be and so much more. It was incredible. Absolutely incredible and life changing. It also made me decide that there was absolutely no way I was going to make my living in food. Why is that? <laughs> well, so so I finally got an Alforno. I I, I I met a guy who was very good friends with the guy who was like the the second in command there, and so I got an interview with George German. George Alforno was owned by George German and Joanne Clean, a husband and wife team, and I got an interview with George, and I I, I did what I. Um, have patented and patented um, as the not really patented, but you know, air quotes patented as as the Mark O'Brien. It's a, it's a move that cannot be resisted. Okay, and here's the move. So, I'm 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 my senior year in college, so I'm what, like 21. I've been hearing about Alforno and like idolizing Alforno since I was 15, six years, a big chunk of my life, right? More than a third of my life. Um, or so, no, no, yeah, whatever. Um, and I finally, I'm sitting down with the owner, the founder of Alforno, <laughs> George. And uh, he says, what do you want to do? And I said, I'll do anything. I will do absolutely anything. I just need to be in these doors. I'll do anything. I'll, I'll, I'll clean the floors with my hand if that's what the job you need done. Honestly, I will do anything. And he said, all right, you start salads on Monday. And so I started the salad, the Garmanger station, the salad station. And... Um, and I, I, I was over the moon. I mean, probably one of the top five happiest moments of my life, honestly, when, when, when I found out that I was going to be working at Alforno. I just felt so successful. It was, it was so incredible. And I was going to earn $7 an hour. And that was, that was really bad pay even then. Really, 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 really. It was basically minimum wage. Um, but that I didn't care about one bit because I was going to be at Alforno. And uh, my first week or second week, I'm there, and it, and I learned so much at that salad station. It, like so many of the recipes I hold today, and my favorite. Last night I made a Caesar salad, and it's that recipe. Uh, so I, I learned so much about cooking. It, it it just opened my entire world. I learned so much from my mom. I learned so much from the Bentleys. When I went to El Forno, it was that next exponential level up from that in terms of my learnings. And um, it was a weekend. And there's this Guatemalan guy, Tony, who ran the kitchen downstairs, and he was fierce, like fierce, 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 unfair, vicious, but an amazing cook. And if he said a kind word to you, it like brightened your whole day, you know? <laughs> um, and so in the middle of a service Saturday night, everyone's slammed. Everyone's literally running around everywhere. And my back is to everybody else because the, the salad station's up front, but it's all an, it's an open fl uh, floor plan. You can see the dining room, everything in the kitchen. And George comes in and he nods to me. He's like, how's, how's the new guy doing? And Tony said, he's the best we ever had. And I heard that. I wasn't meant to hear that, but I heard it. 
And my confidence just went way through the roof. And that's because of my training. That's because I trained at Bentley's. Like I learned the right way to do things from the beginning. And so I was able to, I was able to take on that next level with Alforno. And within six months, my goal was to stay at Alforno for 10 years. That was my goal when I got there. I was going to say, I'm going to stay here 10 years. I'm still in college. I'm going to finish college. Who cares about college? I've got my dream job. Um, but let me get back to the college thing about who cares. It wasn't really very fair. Um, but I got my dream job. And uh, within six months, through all sorts of contortions of the universe, I was running the place. Um, I achieved my 10-year goal in six months at Alforno. And uh, about 18 months after that, I was gone from not only Alforno, but from cooking. Because I realized that but again, much like the priest thing, I couldn't be a priest. I want to have family. Well, can't, can't, I can't cook. So I want to have family. Cause I saw if I'm going to, if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to ever make any money at this, I have to own my own place. And if I own my, my own place, I'm going to have to like live in that place for good. And my kids will have to live in that place. And that's just not what I want to do. I love cooking, but I don't love it enough to sacrifice everything else. And so I decided to leave. And so at that point, I'm done with cooking. I already graduated college. I've got my specialized poetry degree (laughs) and I have no idea what to do with my life. And I was 23 and that was my first midlife crisis. I, I, it was, it was, I've unfortunately had a second since, (laughs) but but prior to having the second one, I said, I said, I I had my midlife crisis at 23. That was just part one. Um, And that was a very, very, very scary time. I still worked in restaurants. I worked as a bellhop. I I was, I was working all kinds of jobs. I could, I could employ myself, but I, I didn't know what I wanted to do for a living. Very scary. Was there like a specific moment or day where you had that realization that, that this isn't for me? Yeah. 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 There was actually, no one's ever asked me that question. Um, there was this, uh, waiter, his name was Tony too. Was it Tony? I think it was Tony. And he was, he was tough. He had a lot of attitude. He wasn't very nice. He, he, he liked to start fights and it was another, another Saturday night, super busy, tons of stuff going on. And he screwed up, but didn't want to admit it. He screwed up an order. And Alphorn, you scoop is a big deal because everything's made from scratch. And it's like everything's time to be in perfect units with everything else. It's like, it's pretty high cuisine. Um, and uh, he came in and I just lost it. I completely I started screaming at him and I, I, I lost it. And it turned in my screaming, like turned into like almost kind of like a breakdown. I started crying and in the scream is like a cry scream. And then I, I just left. I, I just left and went to the bathroom. I was like, what the hell just happened? Thank, thankfully that's never happened before or since, but like it was just a breaking point for me. And, and the stress was insane. I, I would yell at people all the time. Everyone yelled at everybody. It was just, it was just a vicious atmosphere. Um, and it doesn't have to be that way. There are plenty of restaurants where it's not that way. Uh, and, uh, but you know, I, I worked at a, by that point I had worked in a lot of restaurants. I knew the deal. I knew what was going on. Um, and I just realized, no, I, this is not, this is not my, this is not my thing. And it was hard because, you know, um, I learned how to make scrambled eggs from Julia Child. She came to Alforno and we opened special for her on a Saturday morning for her 92nd birthday, which is one of her last birthdays. And she stood by the stove with me and taught me to make scrambled eggs. And, you know, George Harrison would come in, Wolfgang Puck, Emerald Lagasse, uh, Steven Spielberg. I mean, this place was the place. It was really hard to leave that job and decide that. But I had I had seen enough where I realized this is not my future. But it was great because I got to make that decision from a fully 
informed perspective. And I did what I came to do. I had a 10 year goal. I accomplished in six months and I kicked butt. I worked so darn hard for them. I, I, I really gave it my all. Then realized I need to move on. This episode brought to you by Wild Story. Wait, isn't that your company? It is. And without the generous support of Wild Story, this show would not be possible. A brand isn't a logo or a tagline or even your product. A brand is a person's gut feeling about a product, service, or company. It's what people say about you when you're not in the room. Wild Story helps progressive founders and savvy marketers build purpose-driven brands that connect their business goals with the customers they want to serve so that both the business and the customer needs are met. This results in crazy, happy, loyal customers that purchase again and again, and this is great for business. If that sounds like something you and your team might want to learn more about, reach out at www.wildstory.com and we'd be happy to tell you more. Now back to our show. Yeah, so like, how do you handle that when you realize the reality doesn't match the dream or the dream doesn't match the reality or that, you know, I think a pattern in my life and the reason I asked this, it's a little bit selfish is that I dream big and I hop right in and I think I'm so sure of what I want. And then I kind of like, oh, that dream doesn't really match reality. And, and I get a little heartbroken or a lot heartbroken and take it pretty hard. Like, how did you take it? Like, how did you, you know, I mean, it's one thing to know and have this blow up at work and be like, all right, like this is not for me. It's another to settle in with the reality of like, Hey, the thing I've been chasing, I was wrong about. Yeah. That was hard. That was hard. And you asked, you know, did, did Alforno match up to the dream? And Alforno did match up to the dream. It was everything I had imagined so much more. It was, it was the exact right thing for me to do. Um, but yeah, the, the bigger picture dream of cooking for a living was not correct. And yeah, that was, that was, like I said, very hard and very scary and, and, and created my, and I was also like starting to lose my hair at the time. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm ancient. I'm losing my hair. You know? <laughs> and I was in a, I was in a pretty bad relationship too. Um, so it just was, <laughs> it was a pretty dark time, but you know, that's how it goes. Right. So it goes, I got 15 dark time, but all so many beautiful things came of it. Then 23, another, another shakeup and the rest of my life came from that. And so what happened was I was, um, and this is probably a good point to get in this transition. I um, had a buddy I grew up with in Danbury, Chris, and he was he was a geek out of the womb. He's just a natural born geek. You know, he just loves computers. He got his first Macintosh in 1982 when he was seven years old. When most adults didn't have a Macintosh, very families did. He got he got a computer, and he was just, he was just all in from the very beginning. It's just who he is and always has been. And so we were living together in downtown Providence, and I was just working different restaurant jobs, and and I was a bellhop. That was the worst job I actually ever had. Being a bellhop was so demeaning. It was really. It was, it, it can be done well, but just the way people treat you is, is really, really rough. And there I was, you know, graduated college. I had, I was running Al Forno, which was there in that city. Al Forno ruled that city. I had the best job, you know, one of the best jobs in the city in terms of a prestige perspective. And now I'm a bellhop outside of this hotel. Really difficult, really, really difficult, but good, good character building and, and very motivating. Like, look, I'm not going to do this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to figure my life out. And so I was living with Chris downtown and, he had an awesome job in Boston, you know, made a billion dollars from my perspective. And it was 1999. So the dot-com bubble was still, still ever expanding. 
And he said to me one day, he's like, you know, you could make like 40 grand a year tomorrow writing HTML. And I was like, no, no. I was like, that's ridiculous. I don't know anything about computers. I, I literally knew nothing, nothing about computers. <laughs> I was the opposite of Chris, whatever that is. Um, but he's like, no, you can, and I can, I can teach you. And so I said, okay. And and, and that night I fell asleep and like this dream of $40,000. You're like, oh my God, like, wow, that would be unimaginable. I could buy that washer dryer and dryer, you know? Because <laughs> um, I never made, again, now four, seven bucks an hour. I never made any money. Um and um, and so we convinced the restaurant I was working for, Empire, to for us, uh, to do their website. And they said, sure. And we did the website. Well, Chris did it. And I just kind of like literally sat over his shoulder and watched. And then um, we did it and went live. And it's a, it was a beautiful site. It was a great experience. I did learn a ton. And he's like, you know, that place that we walk by on Thomas Street, that New England place, like you should, you should talk to them. And I was like, yeah, yeah. They had a sign out. Um, and there's a sign I'm looking at right now, actually, um, on the street. And it turns out it didn't say New England. It said Newfangled. Um, new, newfangled Web Graphics. And so I went and I went to their website. And I spent like an entire afternoon writing the longest contact form ever. And of course, I submitted it and it didn't go through. So I had to do it again. <laughs> and I wrote this just like this giant case for for, you know, speaking with the owner. And I said, I just, I told the whole truth. I, I know nothing. I did this website. Um, here it is. And, 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 and I pulled the Mark O'Brien, I will do anything. And I had three jobs at the time. I was working 90 hours a week between the, between the hotel and two restaurants. And I didn't want money. I just wanted experience. And I told them, uh, this is more than I said to George. I just said, I'll work for free. You don't have to pay me. I just, I just want to be there. And he had me in for an interview and he hired me. He said, I'll give you 10 bucks an hour and you can work as many hours as you want. So right there, I hit the jackpot. So I went and I, it was a joyous like victory lap. It went to all three of my jobs and quit. <laughs> and um, I started that next Monday on June 15th at Newfangled as uh, like uh, an HTML guy to be, <laughs> to be. Um, and that was, that was the beginning of the beginning. And do you know where the name came from originally? Newfangled? Yes. Yes. Um, so Eric um, Holter founded the company in 1995 with Steve Brock. I joined in 2000. And they both went to RISD, the Rhode Island School of Design, a very prestigious art school, which uh, ironically, George German from Alforno also went to. And he went to RISD and the company, the, the actual name of the company originally in 95 was Newfangled and Old Fashioned Graphics. You could hire Newfangled and Old Fashioned Graphics to either build your website or do um, woodblock print engraving for you. Those were the two services offered, actually. Still trying to figure out the, who they wanted to be at that time, apparently. <laughs> like, that's what Eric studied in college. So uh, Eric went to RISD. He was, he was a fine arts guy, right? And so he was actually extraordinary at wood engraving um, and, and, and presses from that. There's a word for that, but I don't, I don't know what the word is. Um, but he got out and he had to get a job. And so he started working for an agency. And it was 95 uh, or 94. And the agency's like, uh, this web thing's happening. Can you just do that web stuff for us? And so he got a book and learned it and figured out the basics and started building websites and realized, wow, this is like a big deal. I should make a company doing this. So he did. Yeah. And so you're building websites and I'm assuming that it's in the time when making a website was kind of hard, you know, <laughs> like now we have all these, uh, templates and Wix and Squarespace and now Webflow's coming on and even WordPress is and, and it's so much easier than, than it, than it was. And so what was that like? I mean, what was, what was building websites when you started like, and, and how has it changed? 
It was thrilling. It was, oh gosh, it was so wonderful. <laughs> it was, it was just, it was just fantastic. Um, uh, and it was very manual, right? I mean, th- th- back then there was Dreamweaver. And so you could use Dreamweaver to kind of fake it. Like it was a WYSIWYG type of edit- editor, but Newfangled didn't touch that. We pride ourselves on that. You know, we just, it was all custom code, right? And um, we had a guy, Mike Boulay, who was um, a more senior person and he created a CMS, a new, Newfangled CMS. Uh, we called it WebTop at first. And so it was super fancy. So I started to learn how to program and I got into that. And then I learned how to do systems administration. And that was really exciting. But, you know, the truth is, I, I, I didn't realize this, but I was never really good at any of them. What happened was I decided to move to North Carolina. And uh, I, I had actually met my uh, my ex-wife as a bellhop when I worked at the, the uh, three months I was at a, bell, as a, bell, a bellhop at the Biltmore in Providence. I met my wife. She stayed there for a weekend and she was just awesome. She kept asking like, well, where should I go? Should I go here? Should I go there? And I kept like, just like pointing her different directions. Go, go do that thing. Go to this thing. And, um, I was just really impressed with how like courageous and, and curious she was. And, um, we traded emails at the end of it and we kept in touch and we ended up, you know, dating about three months later from afar and um, decided to meet, and we did that for a couple of years. Decided to meet in the middle. She was in Mississippi at the time, and we decided to move to North Carolina. And so I go to Eric. I said, "Listen, I'm moving to North Carolina, uh, but I'd love to stay with the company. If there's any way we could do that." I, I figured he'd say no because no one worked remotely, and that idea was crazy at the time. And he said, "All right, yeah, we can do that. But if you're going to be in North Carolina, you should probably learn how to sell because you know because we at the time Newfangle was a very local business. We were in Providence. We were we were a Southern New England company, and as and as like he said, you should build a book of business down there. So well, sure, I'll try that. I've never sold anything, but I'll try it. And so he started taking me on sales calls um, with him, which are all in person, of course. And he and I both realized very quickly that oh. That's what I'm good at. <laughs> Forget about this coding stuff. Because <laughs> um, no one at Newfangled likes selling at all. Eric hated it. Uh, most people hate it. But I loved it. I loved every single thing about it. And so then I started selling for Newfangled. And that's when everything really changed for me. And, and really, honestly, not to take too much credit for this, but everything changed for Newfangled as well. And so I moved down here and became an O3 and started building a book of business down here. And it was very successful. And my first year selling was the best year we ever had in the history of the company. And my second year selling was, uh, I think it was one and a half times that. And so it was just two great years in a row that really changed the, the, the foundation of the company. And Eric made me president of the company uh, at that point, which was amazing. And at that point, I really started running it. And I realized that I liked that even more than selling. And um, in 2008... Eric, Eric, Eric is a classic entrepreneur. He would, he kept coming to me like, Hey, we should do this. We should do that. We should do that. He always had ideas. And I kept saying, no, I was like, no, listen, we're not good at this thing yet. We've really got to dig deeper into this thing. We can't let ourselves get distracted. Let's stay the course on, on these few initiatives we've got going on. And we can get to the idea maybe in six or 12 months. And each time, you know, he, he was, he, he was a very balanced guy with very little ego and he, and he would see the wisdom in it and he'd say, okay, you're, you know, you're right. That's fine. But he got sick of it. He got bored and he didn't really have a place in Newfangled anymore. And he, he, he didn't like that. He understood what I was saying was right for Newfangled, but it wasn't right for him. And so he decided to hire David Baker, who introduced you and I, and um, he went for a consulting consulting. <laughs> so he went, he hired David to, to consult him on how to be a consultant. 
And David said, okay, so you're going to start this consulting business, but you've got a company. Like, who's going to run the company? And he's like, well, well, said, well Mark, Mark does a lot of that. He's like, well, tell me what Mark does. And at the time, I was a salesperson. I was um, the only project manager we had. I was one of our three developers still, and I was our sysadmin. <laughs> I was doing all those things at that time. Um, and he said, okay, um, so here's the deal. After you get back from our, our visit here, you're going to go back to the office. You're going to do one of two things. You're either going to fire Mark on the spot or you're going to sell him the company. That Those are the only two options. He's got too much control. And so uh, yeah, it was just January of 2008. And um, it was like the first or second business day of the year. And Eric came to my office. He's like, hey, can we go get a coffee? And I was like, sure. And he's like, so you want to buy it? <laughs> and I was shocked. I was shocked. He said, it's roughly 1.1x of last year, which was the same as the year before. Um, and, 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 and I said, yeah. 100%. I absolutely want to buy it. Got to check my wife. Got to figure out how the heck I possibly could. But intent-wise, in yes, I 100% want this. I said yes immediately. And it was 2008. And you might recall 2008 was a rather interesting year uh, in the economy, um, especially the fall. So we had a whole plan worked out. It was good. And then the entire economy fell apart. And so we had a like... Ooh. It was it was amazing. It, it Eric and I both really trust each other and loved each other implicitly. We both wanted what was best for Dufangle and each other uh, individually. And it was almost impossible to figure out a purchase. It was almost impossible. Uh, an above board purchase that I checked out with the IRS and all the rest. <laughs> uh, but we did. We figured it out. And I became CEO uh, January 1st, 2009. Eric left to do all kinds of other things. And um, I began the purchase of buying the company. And, and that, was, that, was, that was that. I did not answer your question, which is how was it, to, how was it being a web developer back then? But I, I got into a story that I think is more interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, th I think so too. And, and, and I love that story. And, you know, and I, and I could feel, you know, at least my heart dropped a bit when you, you know, you purchased in 2008 and the economy changes and you have to be thinking like, oh my gosh, like what just happened? Now, kind of similar to what we're feeling now in a lot of ways, a lot of businesses where there's just a lot of external pressure that's out of our control, but doesn't really change the plans we have for ourselves or for our companies. And so back then, and, and you were servicing from what I can tell, uh, local clients, kind of just like your run of the mill web shop. And, and please correct me if I've got that wrong, but at what point did you shift to become more focused on working directly with marketing creative firms to help them do their marketing? Well, we we always had the agency angle because, again, Eric came from an agency from the very beginning. So we always position ourselves as partners for agencies. So basically the deal was, we're the web guys, you're the creative people, we'll do all your web work for your clients for you. That was the deal. That 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 was the promise from the very beginning, from 95 on. And so, so that element of the business never changed, the working closely with, um, you know, small to mid-sized creative shops. Um, but yeah, in 2000, it was local shops. Um, and then in 03, when I came down here, it, well, became local and two locales. And, and at the same time... Um, you know, Eric had started doing more on a national scene. Um, David connected with him with How Magazine, and that started some nice um, articles and things. And and we started really pushing hard on being more nationally recognized. Um, Eric had started his own content strategy for Newfangle in 2000, running a newsletter. And we always took our own content strategy very, very, very seriously. And that was really the heart of our growth in terms of our national reputation building. And, um, and then um, around 2008, I started doing a lot of public speaking and and got onto the conference scene and everything else. And then Chris Butler and Newfangled also got into it. So we, so we pretty rapidly became a, a continental, uh, partner and instead of just, um, 
a local partner, which was great. That flip was essential, but it was because of our expertise. We were great at partnering with agencies. That was our sales prop. And, and we had really good systems. We were great web developers. We, we, we had excellent systems. And so, so yeah, it was always about the agency. What changed was what we do today is that we, we help the agencies market themselves. It's not at all about the client work. We almost never touch any client side things with the agency. It's all about the agency, which is a kind of a, a funny thing we do. We help marketers market. <laughs> um, and, but it's but it's wonderful. So in working with the agencies from ninety five to twenty fifteen, we just learned so much about how they operate in their culture. And our culture sort of grew up to mimic theirs. Like we became much more closely aligned with them as we worked with more and more of them. Um, and it was in twenty fifteen that we realized we needed to completely change the business. And that realization was instigated by a combination of us adopting the attraction EOS methodology and my involvement in the strategic coach program. Oh, I'm familiar with both of those. Very cool. Very cool. And so how does an agency know that they need to be working with Newfangled? Like what are the telltale signs? Well, um, yeah, let me, let, let me explain a little bit about that transition and then I can get to that question because it, it'll be helpful backgrounder. So basically what happened in 2015 is th- those two systems, EOS and coach forced us to look at like, what can you actually be the best in the world at truly? And when, when you hear that question, you think it's a joke. Well, you're not kind of best in the world at anything, but that's not true. If you're appropriately specialized, you absolutely can be the best in the world at something. And this is coaching we give to our own clients as well, our, our agency partners, um, and we realized, you know, to your point, like, well, this web stuff isn't the problem anymore. Like agencies are able to build their own website. That That's not an issue. It's everything else that they struggle with. The content creation, the emails, the email work, um, the CRM, the paid media, like all the, all the other stuff. That's, that's the problem. And so we decided to completely reinvent the company to go to where the pain points were. Um, so we would coach them on the website so to build the right business development website. Um, but then we spent a lot of time working with them on the content. The two hardest things about marketing are one, positioning, and two, um, documenting your ex- expertise around that positioning, which is content creation and distribution. Those are the two hardest things about marketing. And so we decided to go really, really hard at the mark, uh, the content side specifically. And that built the modern modern era of, uh, of Newfangled, where we focus on website coaching to make sure the website's the best business development tool possible, um, work with them on the content to make sure they're producing the right volume and specificity of content from the right audience all the time, constantly, forevermore, um, making sure they're using email properly to nurture their prospects through the different stages of the buying cycle, and now paid media to generate you know near immediate and significant results because we're driving the right kinds of people to these wonderful expertise-laden assets. Um, so that's 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 the thing, the four pillars of website content, email, paid media. Now, an agency, to your question, an, an agency decides it's time to talk to us when they're sick of the same. They're sick of the same. They, they, they've been living off referrals and reputation of a few key people. Maybe they're used to going to trade shows and just kind of, you know, rubbing elbows, things like that. And they're either sick of doing those things or in COVID times can't do those things. And they really want to take control of their Future. They want to change their future and and be known for something different and 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 be treated like an expert and command higher prices, have more control in the buy sell relationship with their clients. That's when they come to us. Um, but we're expensive, you know. It, our, our price point is you know six to seven thousand dollars a month, and we work in year long programs minimum. And so like that's a tall, 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 tall ticket. And so unless you really want to change, you're not going to hire us. <laughs> You've got to really mean it. 
um, in order to, to work with us. And that works well for us because we end up uh, with a roster full of amazing clients who have a deep, deep desire for real cultural change. And that's, that's what we do. And that's, that's incredible. And what are you seeing now, especially during this time of, of the pandemic? Are you seeing your clients thrive? Are you seeing them struggle? What's, what's the outlook look like right now for, for at least what you're seeing? That's a great question. And I'm surprised at my response here, but we, we do see, I think a very specific and, um, I'm not, I can't find the right word. We, the slice of the marketplace we have immediate access to is a fairly representative slice of a certain portion of the economy. Okay. And so we work with mid-sized agencies throughout North America and a little bit in uh, other English speaking countries, Australia, UK, etc. cetera. Uh, and so, but in the U S and Canada, and all of our agents are specialists. They have to be specialists. They get, they're not specialists. They can't work with us. We can't help them. And so they're working in very unique and uh, discrete industries themselves. And so it's a, it's a fair slice of the economy that we get to see. And we're deep in their business. We really understand how things are going in their business. And most of our clients are doing pretty well, which is interesting. Um, a few are having a hard time, but only a few. Uh, and, an equal amount, if not more, are seeing exponential growth. They're they're thriving in in this um, environment because it plays to their skills because people can't go out and do certain things anymore. And so I've been heartened and surprised to see that. But our, our average client is stable at least, and and many of them for many of them the targets they set in January for the year they're still looking to hit this year, which is incredible. Well, that is incredible. And that's a testament, I think, to what you're doing with your clients and super, super impressed with that. So I I just need to stop you there. I I can't take credit for that. Newfound cannot take credit for that. That would be that would be overstepping for sure. I need these businesses are extraordinary businesses on their own and they made a lot of brave decisions. And that's why the experts they are in the first place. It's that we just shine a light on it. That that's all we do. Um, But it's it's if the truth weren't incredible and compelling, the light we shine on it would be useless. It's, it's, it's all about their work. Well, that's, that's very generous of you. And, and I, I get what you're saying. And so what does the future look like for newfangled? What do you think? What, what's the future look like? You know, I, I've got to say, I, I, I'm so grateful for what I get to do every day. This is an incredible business. It's an incredible business full of wonderful people. And we do work for wonderful people. It's, 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 it shocks me that we get to work with a client base that is so smart, interesting, kind, appreciative <laughs> as, as the ones we do. Like I feel bad for our clients cause they, they, they work with like lawyers and stuff. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and you know, I've got a lot of good friends who are lawyers, but you know, the agency market as a, as a focus and to get to work with the owners and leaders of these really smart, interesting, nimble, creative and digital shops, you know, all over the world is just incredible. So I love what we do. We're having more impact on our clients than we've ever had, um, significantly more impact on our clients than we've ever had. And so we've really found a nice rhythm in terms of our service offering and the staff that we've got, the expertise level in the staff. So uh, as part of EOS, you might be familiar, you set 10-year, three-year, and one-year goals. And so the the three-year goal 
is to really do what we're doing. We, we've hit a groove now that we've been trying to find for a long, long, we're 25 years in, we've been working on this for a while. Um, and we've, we've hit a groove that we've been trying to find for a long time. And, and I intend to make sure we stay on it for, for the foreseeable future. And, you know, measured growth, even, even probably throttled growth, um, intentionally throttled growth, just to make sure that we maintain a certain level of excellence inside the organization. So that's kind of a boring answer. But um, my first session at Strategic Coach, Blair Enns and I attended together. And the very first session um, of the 12 sessions we attended uh, together in Vancouver was um, the headline was Never Sell, Never Retire. And Blair and I both absorbed that and completely took it hook, line and sinker. And that's how we run both of our businesses. Never sell, never retire, make, build your business to be something you love and, and you love so much that you'd be crazy to step away from it. And, and that's what's happened. That's really what's happened. So, so I, I'm not looking to get out. I'm not looking to, you know, hit some dollar mark, mark and exit. Uh, n- none of it. I, I'm looking to, to continue to work with this amazing team we've got and amazing clients we have to just deliver as much possible value as we can while maintaining our core values. What's hard about running a firm like yours? What don't we know? What what don't we see? Like what what is the average person missing? I think I think the hardest thing about you asked about my role specifically. It sounds like I am. Yeah, um, uncertainty. You got to be okay with that. You have to be okay with that. And if you're not okay with a certain level of risk and uncertainty, kind of permeated throughout your entire life, <laughs> you know, because everything's on the line, it's not going to work out very well for you. But if you are, then it's an option you owe it to yourself to very deeply consider. Well, Mark, as we come to the end of our time here, I just have two more questions for you. Uh, and the first has been rattling around my head ever since you, you made mention of it. But what makes a great Caesar? Like, what's the secret? Okay, here you go. I'm ready to give this to you right now. Here's a recipe. Uh, in a blender, any old blender will do, two egg yolks, five cloves of peeled garlic, as much black pepper as you can grind in there, um, about a half cup of parsley, flat leaf parsley leaves, a tablespoon of Worcestershire sauce, the juice of one full pretty big lemon, and that's it. Put that in a blender, blend those things together, and then open up the top. There's, you know, all blenders have a little like thing you can open on the top. Open that thing up with your hand over it because it's going to splatter, and very slowly pour olive oil into it until it thickens. It'll take you about a minute of slowly pouring it and you'll hear it'll sound like a liquid. Then all of a sudden it'll sound like a solid. Um, and that's when it's done. That will be the best Caesar dressing you've ever had in your life. No anchovies. Oh my gosh. How did I forget the anchovies? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Of course. Anchovies. Thank you, Mark. I just rattle off. That's what I get for rallying off the top of my head. Um, yeah, we want, we want about five or six fillets of Ortiz brand anchovies specifically. It has got to be Ortiz brand. Have you ever had an Ortiz anchovy? I don't think so. And I'm about to, I'm about to go find some. Go find some right now. They sell at most Whole Foods. You can buy them on Amazon. They're like 16 bucks for a one ounce jar. They're expensive, but oh my gosh. It, and I'm not, I, I'm not a like straight anchovy guy at all. Never been. I can eat a jar of those in a sitting. Just by, so they're amazing. They're, they're incredible. They're like something other than anchovy. First recipe rattled off by memory on the Baby Got Backstory podcast. First of all, <laughs> thank you for that. And second of all, it's a real takeaway. I'm going to go make some Caesar. And of uh, course, romaine lettuce, of course, right? It's of not course. Pecans, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my last question for you. So if that 15-year-old Mark who you were talking about ran into you today, what do you think he'd say? 
Ugh. He'd be shocked across the board. He'd be really mad at me and he'd be really happy for me. And that's the best I got for you. And that is Mark O'Brien from Newfangled. I need to try the Mark O'Brien move that can't be resisted. The I'll do anything. I've done that before in my career and I can attest that great things happen if you can just get into the middle of where they're happening. Once you're there, you at least have a chance to show what you got and make your own way. We'll link to all things Mark O'Brien and Newfangled in the show notes, so please go and check them out. Thank you again to Mark and the team at Newfangled. Yes, I'm trying to set a record on how many times I can say the word Newfangled. Newfangled, Newfangled, Newfangled. Well, that's the show. Until next time. Make sure to visit our website, www.wildstory.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss an episode. I like big stories and I cannot lie. You other storytellers can't deny. 